0: Uh, so Psalm 13, if you guys would turn there. And, and while you're turning, just know it is so good uh, to be here with you. I uh, am so grateful uh, to be able to open God's word with you all. Uh, my soul has longed for this for uh, four months now. And so I'm grateful to be with you. Psalm 13. So this morning we are starting a new preaching series. We're going to be spending the rest of the summer uh, considering some select psalms. And we are particularly excited about this because the psalms are amazing. Uh, The psalms are one of those good things that the Lord has given us to help us to know Him better, to enjoy Him to, to gain perspective and to live increasingly satisfied, God-centered lives. And one of the ways that the Psalms help us to do this is they help us to process our emotions. It's not the only thing they do, but certainly they do that. Uh, several weeks back, uh, I was putting my son Henry down to bed and Raylin, my wife, was unable to be a part of our bedtime routine because she had a meeting that she needed to be a part of. And my son was crushed because of that. He so wanted her to be in the room and do our bedtime routine. And so uh, I asked him as part of our routine, do you wanna pray before bed? And he said, okay. And he said, dear Lord, I am so sad that Mama is not in here with me. And it was this funny moment that was very sweet and endearing, but it was a moment that really struck me and caused me to sit back and go, that, that's, that's right, buddy. That's such a good and such an appropriate prayer to pray. Somehow Henry, in his four-year-old mind, intuitively knew that what we are to do with our emotions is to take them to God in prayer even, and maybe in, especially, our sadness. Henry was lamenting. He was lamenting. And lament is a major category within the Psalter. Roughly a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And lament is, is similar to confession, which we may be a little bit more familiar with. In confession, we confess that we are not as we should be. We say that we're messed up, we're jacked up. But in lament, we proclaim that the world is not as it should be. The world is messed up. The world is not as it should be. And so it's a cry to God for help in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our sorrow. In Grace, we need to lament. We need to have a category for lament, to express our sorrow at the state of this world. This world is not as it should be. We have many reasons today to lament. And so we are going to turn to this incredible psalm, Psalm 13, which we've already read. An incredible psalm, a surprising psalm, but one that I think the Lord desires to encourage us with this morning. And to again, help us to live increasingly happy and holy God-centered lives. And so let me pray that the Lord would help us as we go to Psalm 13. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and you would unstop our ears so that we might receive your word and we might be encouraged, that we might gain perspective and that we might worship you. And so we offer you this time as an act of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so three things that we want to see from Psalm 13 this morning. First, God is listening. Second, God is faithful. And third, God is gracious. God is listening, God is faithful, and God is gracious. And so we wanna start uh, just with these first two verses. God is listening. The most memorable aspect of this Psalm, uh, Psalm 13, is the repetition that happens in these first two verses. Again and again, the psalmist, David, begins with rapid fire rhetorical questions. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Repeat it over again, four different times. And in this repetition, god kindly gives us an invitation to feel what david is feeling we're invited into david's experience where he cries out from deep within his soul deep from within his bones how long O lord this world is not as it should be there's a deep sigh of exasperation that's uttered in these words from david But notice that David cries out. He cries out. In lament, we always want to ask three questions. Whenever we see a a Psalm of lament, there are three questions. If if you just wanna be a better Bible reader, it's important to keep these three questions in mind. And the first two questions are who and what? Who and what? What? Who does the psalmist cry out to? And so here in Psalm 13, who does David cry out to? How long, O Lord? Do you notice the significance of who David's lament is directed toward? David isn't crying out into the ether. He's not standing above the Grand Canyon and just yelling out into the valley. He's not yelling into his pillow. No, he is crying out to God. In other words, he's praying. This is a prayer. And he's praying to his Lord. In the Psalms of lament, the, these, these laments are typically directed to, "O oh God, or "O oh Lord. And here he's praying to his Lord. He didn't say, "O oh God, Elohim, transcendent one. A powerful one, a creator of all, above everything. No, he cried out to his Lord, to his Yahweh, the personal, close, covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who loves him. Sometimes in lament, we cry out to Almighty God. We cry out to the God of Genesis 1, the God who created everything and holds everything in his hands the sovereign Lord of all, because that's what our hearts need is almighty God. But there are other times in lament when we cry out to our Lord, the God of Genesis 2, the God who created us, the God who knit us together in our mother's womb, the God who draws near in covenant and loves us. And that is who David cries out to in Psalm 13, to his Lord. And why? Why does David cry out to his Lord. He cries out in prayer to his Lord. And now why? Verses one and two are packed. David feels like God has forgotten him. He feels like God has hidden his face from him. He feels like he has to take counsel in his own soul, he has sorrow in his heart, and finally his enemies are triumphing over him. And the how long, Opar, indicates that this is not something he's felt a couple times, but this is in perpetuity. He's felt this for a long time. This is a continual feeling that he is feeling deep within his bones. All of this paints a picture of desperation, David has some unnamed enemy that seems to be triumphing over him, and David is brought to the edge because of it. He, he feels like he can only rely on himself, and it's making him desperate and, and even depressed. It feels like God has abandoned him, and so what we're seeing in these two verses is that grief is compounded. It's compounded and it's compounded. And it's gotten really bad to the point where he would cry out in such a straightforward way to the Lord, how long will you forget me forever? And what does David do with all this disappointment? This is the point. What does David do with this disappointment, with all this emotion? He cries out to his Lord in prayer, in faithful prayer. How long, Lord, will this keep going? It feels like it's unending. It feels like it is un, uh, like it will never cease. Like as I look into the future, nothing will change. Lord, how long is it going to be like this? How long will the world continue to be something contrary to what it was supposed to be? I fell in love with this psalm when I was in college. And part of the reason why is because when I was first confronted with this passage and I read through it and really tried to understand it, the, the initial thought that came to my mind was, why in the world is this in the Bible? Like, I, it, it doesn't seem right that this is in Holy Scripture, that whoever was comprising the Psalter, they read through this and they thought, yeah, that, that, we're gonna take that one. That is a good one to include in the Bible. It feels so profane. It feels accusatory towards God. It almost feels blasphemous because David seems to be putting God and his character on blast. And so how would these words end up in the Bible to instruct us and encourage us and reveal God's character? Grace, I think this is the sort of question we're supposed to ask as we come to Psalm 13. In this Psalm, we have a real life person Experiencing real human emotions, modeling a real life relationship with the Lord. What does David do in his distress? He processes his emotion in prayer. Reminds me of uh, Tim Keller asking the question, who can wake the king for a cup of water? Who can wake the king for a cup of water? An advisor? No. A soldier? No. No a worker in his house. No, the only one who can wake the king for a cup of water is his child. That's what we're seeing in Psalm 13. John Calvin says that the Holy Spirit composed the Psalms in such a way to give the church a common form of prayer. Well, this Psalm teaches us that God's children, as God's children, we can go to our kingly father in our distress, big or small, and pour that out to him. He can take it. And we have distress, don't we? The headlines won't stop. COVID-19, shelter in place, George Floyd's death, Breonna Taylor's death, Ahmaud Arbery's death, Black Lives Matter, protests, riots, various orders with restrictions for the church gathering. It goes on and on, these things that cause our hearts and our souls to clench up. feel dry and desperate. In the midst of all of this, the the headline that broke me was a story from my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, A fight broke out at a mall, a mall that I used to work at. And the the people that were there uh, said that it was a fight that broke out over wearing masks, whether to wear a mask or not. Uh, Guns were pulled out, shots were fired. An eight year old bystander, a boy was shot and he was killed. And as this news sort of broke, I was watching the headlines and the boy was transported to the hospital and he was still alive at that point. And I prayed for him and I prayed for him that he would live. And when the announcement finally broke that he died, it just felt like something inside of me gave in. And the cry of my heart was how long, oh Lord? How long will this madness continue? How long will this world continue not as it is supposed to be? And that's just the headlines. That's just a couple headlines from the past four months. That doesn't include the experiences of grief that we've experienced as a faith family here. We've lost three beloved members of our faith family. Phil Davis, David DeMille, Mark Will. And we as a faith family, we mourn these three. And in particular, their families mourn them. We have children who can't be adopted because of of COVID. We have the the compounded grief of not being able to gather together in an incarnational way that we were made to gather in. We have all sorts of situations that are just normal life. We're lonely, we're sad. And all of this is, is being compounded so that grief overwhelms us in this day. Well, Grace... What Psalm 13 is giving us permission and even instruction to do is to take all of this, all of this stuff that we feel so intensely, all of the how long, O Lords, of our hearts, and to take them to the Lord in prayer. Because He is a big, strong God. He is our kingly Father, and He desires for us to bring these to Him. He's listening. So that's the first thing we wanna see from Psalm 13 this morning. Our kingly father, he's listening. Even when it's really tough, even when it's really intense, he's listening. And so we could pour this stuff out to him. Second though, our kingly father, God, he is faithful. He is faithful and he is faithful to answer. And so as we turn our attention to verses three and four, as, uh, as we transition, we see a movement. Verses 1 and 2, they begin with wrestling, with processing. But now we move from process to petition. In verses 3 and 4, we see David begin to make his request known to the Lord. And so this is the third question that we ask when we deal with lament. We ask, what? What? What is being asked? So who David is addressing his Lord? Why? Because he feels abandoned. Now, what does David ask the Lord to do about his distress? David asked God for two things, and he gives two reasons or rationales for why God should answer his prayers. Two things. Consider him and answer him. Consider me, Lord, and answer me, Lord. It's really simple. If God has turned his face away from David, if uh, if God is not beholding David, then David is asking for God to look upon him again. You've withheld your favor from me. God, would you restore your favor? David felt like God has left him to his own devices. He feels like God refuses to listen to him and to help him. So David prays, listen to me, Lord. Listen to me, answer me. Don't ignore my texts, don't ignore my calls. Respond to me so that I may have relief from this distress that I'm feeling in my heart and in my bones. This is so instructive for us. David actually petitions God with concrete petitions. And so we can bring our real life concrete request to God. That's not presuming upon God, He's our good heavenly father who loves it when his children make their requests known to him. He loves to hear our requests and he loves to answer those because he's a good heavenly father. Then David gives God some reasons for why he ought to answer him. The first is that if God doesn't answer his prayer, David will literally die. He's in such a tight spot, his situation is such that if God doesn't answer and rescue him, he will literally die. The second is, is that if David's enemies would prevail, then God's enemies would prevail and they would gloat. They would rob God of his glory. If these enemies win, they will celebrate and make a big to do out of it. And it will seem like God himself was defeated. And so if God didn't want David to die and he didn't want his enemies to gloat, then he would have to intervene. David tried to motivate God. He gave these rationales to God. uh, And so he appeals to God's character. He appeals to who God is. He's saying, God, please be yourself and answer my prayer. David was God's anointed. He was his anointed. And so David asked God to rescue him and be the protector and saving God that he has demonstrated himself to be throughout Israel's history and throughout David's life. He's asking God to be faithful to his covenant with Israel and with David. When Raylan and I first got married, uh, Raylan really wanted a dog and I did not. Um, It just didn't make sense at the time. It it wasn't, uh, uh, something that would, uh, yeah, it it would just add a lot of complicating factors to our life, especially since we had a smaller apartment. Nevertheless, she really wanted the dog. And and so, uh, I kind of put the conversation off, but I promised her eventually we'd get a pet. Eventually we would get a pet, I promise you. And so after a while she came back to me again, I really, really want a dog and I still did not want one. And so I put it off more. And and. And this time though, I said, I promise you we'll begin to talk about it soon. And then I promptly forgot about it and ignored it. Uh, A little while later, she came back to me again. And this time she said, you said that we would talk about this. You promised that we would eventually get a pet and we haven't. I'm asking you to make good on your word. And so a short while later, uh, now we have two beautiful cats, Simon and Elliot, because I did not promise her a dog. I promised her a pet. Lynn encouraged me to make good on my promise. She appealed to my character in a similar way, not the exact same way, obviously, because God is not, I'm not God David prayed to God and he tried to motivate him by appealing to his character. He said, Lord, this is what you're like. This is who you've always been. This is who you are. And so please step into my situation and be who you are. I'm not asking you to be something you're not. No, you are faithful and you are strong. And so I'm asking you to be faithful and strong in my circumstances. Grace, let us never forget how incredible prayer is. One of the most beautiful and amazing gifts that we have as Christians, we get to communicate with the God of all glory, the God who has redeemed us to himself and his son, Jesus. We get to have a relationship where we can talk to him and ask him things. We can commune with God in prayer. One uh, pastor that I appreciate said when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Psalm 13 instructs us when we pray, especially when we're overwhelmed and defeated, we pray to God and we actually petition him. We make our requests known to our kingly father and we can do so by appealing to his character because he's faithful. Now we have to be careful here. God has made specific promises to David that he doesn't make to us. He doesn't promise us that we will live long, prosperous lives, or even that we will not uh, die to a a, a virus like COVID-19. But he does promise us that he will be faithful and true, that he will be faithful to uphold our salvation that he'll be with us in times of need, that he will satisfy us, that he will provide for our needs, that he's working all things for his glory and for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Prayer is one of those incredibly interesting things because we can't make God do anything. Prayer isn't magic and we're not wizards trying to to do some sort of spell that manipulates God. No, but God is good in that he has made it to be so that he will work through prayer and he will work in prayer to accomplish his purposes. And so he loves it when his people pray and ask him to do things that are in keeping with his character. God loves it when his people pray, and so let us pray. Let us pray. Let's pray for our own satisfaction in Jesus. Let's pray for one another that we would be satisfied in Jesus, that we would love God and that we would love one another. Let's pray for the Davis family, for the DeMille family, for the Will family as they grieve. Let's support them and love them as our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray for this community that's scared and uh, for a million different reasons. Let's pray for the nation that they would know Jesus and that his glory would abound. Let us pray. Make these requests known to God, for he loves to receive these requests and to act upon them. And so, God is faithful to answer our prayers. And finally, God is gracious. God is gracious. These last two verses I want to read out loud. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The last two verses of this psalm they show us a pattern that shows up in almost every psalm of lament. These verses are incredibly different in tone from the beginning. We go from cries of lament to a profession of unfailing trust in the Lord. In the beginning of this Psalm, David pours his heart out to God in light of his circumstances and he asks God to do something. But in these last two verses, David says what he will do. He will trust in God's unfailing love for God has dealt with, bountifully with him. And so he'll sing. David says, no matter what, Lord, I trust you. In fact, even though my circumstances are dire, I will put my hope, I will put my faith, I'll put my life in your hands for I know that you will make good on your promises. You will deliver me. And so I will sing to you in anticipation of that deliverance, of that salvation. How can David go from cries of lament to a profession of trust in the faithfulness in the graciousness of the Lord? David is able to do this because he is rooted in God's steadfast love. Verse five, David says that he will trust in God's steadfast love. This is a top three favorite Bible word for me. The Hebrew word here is hesed chesed. And I'll never forget my Hebrew professor, Dr. Ed Curtis, stopping a Hebrew lecture and spending an hour and a half going on a rabbit trail, trying to get us to get a glimpse of how special this word is and how much we should appreciate it. The word hesed is generally translated steadfast love. More literally, it means Yahweh's faithful covenant love or God's loyal love. It's love with promise. And this love is a deep, unbreakable, unshakable love that God has for his people. He has entered into a covenant with them, and this covenant will never be broken. It's as intimate and powerful as a word, as you can imagine. That's not hyperbole. To help us get Hesed, my Hebrew professor told this story. He told us that while Uh, almost exclusively the word hesed is ascribed to God, there is a small group of people that the Bible says have hesed. And that is David's mighty men. Uh, David's mighty men are said to have hesed, faithful covenant love for David. And we get a little tiny picture of what a human imperfect hesed looks like from 2 Samuel 23. After days of fighting, David's mighty men, they fight their way through an encamped army into a cave where David is staying. These these mighty men, they finally get to David and David longingly says, oh, I wish that I had a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. And so David's mighty men, they look at each other and they go, all right. And, And with love stirred up inside of them, they set out and they fight through an encamped army. They march to Bethlehem, fight through another encamped army of Philistine soldiers. They go to the well of Bethlehem and they get a cup of water. They go back and fight through two more encamped armies and go to the cave and give the cup of water to David. That gives us the slightest picture, the slightest picture of what an imperfect human covenant, faithful, loyal love looks like. Now imagine for a second that the God of all glory, who is perfect, who is high above all, that he loves us with that kind of love. Because what the Bible testifies to over and over and over again, and what Psalm 13 wants us to get into our hearts is that God has this sort of hesed love for you and for me. God's steadfast, loyal love is something that we, grace, can lean into and trust when life gets crazy and we feel like we have no hope. And we know this. We know this because God's hesed is most clearly and beautifully and powerfully revealed in the gospel. We might say that God is full of hesed for the world so that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, so that whomever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's God's hesed that led Jesus to have a crown of thorns smashed onto his head and nails driven into his hands and feet and the wrath of God poured out onto him instead of us so that we might receive Jesus and therefore receive salvation by grace through faith. That we might receive the right to become children of God. This is the love that God has for each and every one of you who are in Christ today, this loyal love is what ensures that nothing, no matter how high, no matter how deep, no matter how wide, no matter how powerful, nothing can separate you from the love of God. This loyal love ensures that God will get you home to glory. God is gracious. And so you will be delivered from your present distress. Hopefully it will be soon. Hopefully it will be in this life. But if not, we have a sure and steadfast word from the Lord that we will experience the fullness of our salvation. God's love guarantees it. And so this is the pattern of lament. This is the pattern of lament in the Psalms. In every Psalm of lament, except for two. So over a third of the Psalter is Psalm of Lament every one of them except for two we see the psalmist go from making his distresses known to making petition and then some sort of expression of trust in the Lord. This is the pattern. This isn't promise, but it is pattern. When we engage our emotions by taking them to the Lord in prayer, the pattern of the psalms is we open ourselves up to a gospel perspective. It's as if we start in the valley, but through lament, we're able to climb to the mountaintop so that we can see things rightly. As one pastor said, lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. Grace, I think we need to pray some prayers of pain that we might trust in the Lord in these chaotic and crazy times. We begin to realize through lament that God has dealt bountifully with us that his face is upon us, that he has not abandoned us. It may not mean that we're delivered in this life, but it does mean that we will be delivered. We will be safe in our, kinglies, our kingly father's arms. And in fact, we are safe in our kingly father's arms today. And so grace, in the midst of the swirling chaos, Psalm 13 seeks to encourage us by putting a listening, faithful, and gracious God before us we can take him our sorrows and we can cry out, How long, O Lord? So that we might sing, Blessed is the Lord. I have trusted in your steadfast love, O Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I thank you that because of him, we are safe and sound. I thank you that because of him, we can have hope. We do have hope. And so what I pray that you would take that object of hope and that you would get it inside of us so that we would experience it today, that we would live in light of it in a way that brings glory to Jesus, that's good for our neighbor, that's good for the, for the uh, congregation that is gathering here today and online. Father, I pray that you would be with us and that you would uh, nurture us with your steadfast love. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.